Well, welcome, sisterhood. We are in week three in our teaching of original women in the Word of God. And if you're familiar with our theme verse, this semester we are talking out of Galatians 5.26, which says we will not compare ourselves to each other as if one of us were better and another worse. Each one of us is an original. And while we recognize that we're not supposed to spend our time comparing ourselves to other women, I'm not sure that I have ever heard a teaching on Martha where she wasn't actually being compared to her sister Mary. In fact, there are a number of books written on the very subject, having a Martha home, the Mary way, Mary's prayers and Martha's recipes, <laughs> having a Mary heart in a Martha world. In fact, even as I just Googled different um, pairs of women in the Bible, there are no other pairs of women who have more books written about them than the comparison that happens between Martha and Mary, these two sisters. And in the story of Mary and Martha, I honestly think that Martha typically gets a bad rap, right? I mean, she is the doer while Mary did the right thing by sitting at the feet of Jesus. And yet the reality is that if there weren't doers, nothing would ever get done. <laughs> And I honestly think that more of us tend to be doers than actually just um, how, Martha, or how Mary is typically portrayed and ones to just sit and be still. And don't get me wrong, I don't believe that Mary should be given a bad reputation either. But in light of not comparing ourselves one to another, could it just be that there is incredible value in the way both women were wired? Yes. We're going to start in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, and it says, while they were traveling, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. Now the very first thing that we notice in this story is that Martha is the one that opens up her home to Jesus. And scripture doesn't tell us that Jesus already had a relationship with these two women. In fact, we would tend to pull from the script, the, the word, that because she is referred to as a certain woman, she is a stranger. She has just opened up her home and invited Jesus in. And in that time, Jesus would travel from town to town preaching and wait for someone to open up their home to him. So if we go back one chapter in the book of Luke to chapter 9, he says this to his disciples as he's preparing to send them out onto the road. He says, take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Martha had this incredible gift of hospitality. Now, we don't have much family in the state of Minnesota, so when our family comes to visit, they come to stay for several days. And if any of you have hosted overnight company, you know that there is a lot of work that goes with that. Because if I'm just having you over for an afternoon cup of coffee, I might have to pick up my kitchen in my living room. But when people are coming to sleep at my house, every level, every bedroom, every bathroom has to be cleaned. Not only that, but I also have meals to prepare. And there's a whole other level of hospitality that comes when people come to stay in your home. Now let's keep in mind the culture and the day. Jesus has just told his disciples, don't even take a clean shirt with you. 
So these men have been traveling for days on the road in heat, and they are likely hot and sweaty, and they are boys. And these, <laughs> right? So these men show up at her house with nothing, and they are virtual strangers. And Martha's response is to welcome them into her home. I can't imagine, girls, a situation where a bunch of men would show up at my door and I would say, please, come in, let me welcome you to stay. And yet this is who Martha was. You know, we often view hospitality as a spiritual gift. And while I recognize that for many of us, that is something that we do exceptionally well. But the reality is that hospitality is a command. We are called to be hospitable. It is not something that is just relegated to those who seem to have what we would label as a gift of hospitality. 1 Peter 4.9 says, Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Based on the gift each one has received, use it to serve others as good managers of the varied grace of God. God has wired each and every one of us uniquely so the way that hospitality looks in our homes may be different for each of us. Some of us are going to be incredible cooks. Others of us love to set a welcoming atmosphere in our homes, feel like a sanctuary. Some people have the gift of just sitting down and making someone feel incredibly comfortable and at ease. There is not a one-size-fits-all recipe for hospitality. The recipe for hospitality is to take what has been given to you and give it and pour out from it to others. We are called to use what he has given us to bless people. And oftentimes we think that we have to get to a certain point. We have to have our house be a certain size or a certain level of decor or when we get the right furniture or when we move. And last I checked, Jesus doesn't say to be hospitable when everything that you have deemed as important has put in place. In fact, I would contend that the less perfect our homes are, the more often we make people feel comfortable. In a society where everybody wants to have bigger and better and greater, oftentimes women, imagine that, have this <laughs> desire to compare. And they think, well, I can't have you into my home because my home isn't as big as yours or as nice as yours or I'm not as clean as you are. And Jesus is just saying, whatever I have given to you, please use that to bless others. And whatever that looks like, girls, whatever that looks like, whatever he has, Romans 12, 13, take a constant interest in the needs of God's beloved people and respond by helping them and eagerly Welcome people as guests into your home. Hospitality is an extension of yourself, not an extension of your wealth. It's not about how much you have. It's about using what you have so that he is glorified. And the greatest blessing that comes out of hospitality is relationship. Because Martha gave of what she had and welcomed Jesus into our home, she received the blessing of being a friend of God. John 11:5 says, Jesus loved Martha, her sister, and Lazarus. There aren't very many verses where Jesus is called out as specifically loving an individual by name in scripture. 
but because Martha opened up her home to Jesus. She got to walk in an intimacy and a relationship with him that most other people did not ever get to experience. And if we limit our time with God to corporate worship when we are in a church building, that we're not going to have that level of intimacy with him that he desires. He wants to move from just someone that we put ourselves together for and show up to church on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night to seeing the messiest and most intimate places in our lives. John 15, 15 says, I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my father. You see, when we relegate our relationship with God to a few hours of corporate worship, we treat him as though he is only master. And he longs to be more than just master. He wants to be friend and have intimacy with us. And this means inviting him into our homes. You see, our homes are where we are without pretense. We don't have to put on makeup, we put on our sweatpants. We don't care what people think about how we look or what we're wearing or whether our clothes even match, right? Home is just where we're supposed to just be whoever we are and that's the aspect that Jesus wants in on. He already knows who we are to the depths of our being. We're not hiding anything from him. But oftentimes we think that if we have to just put ourselves together and present ourselves to him on a Sunday morning in worship and then we leave him there. And he says, oh no, I want intimacy with you. I want relationship with you. And I want to see the mess. And I want to get in the mess. And I want to be a part of the mess. Because that's where that intimacy is developed and that relationship grows and happens. Luke 10, verse 39. She had a sister named Mary, who also sat at the Lord's feet and was listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by her many tasks, and she came up and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to serve alone? So tell her to give me a hand. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has made the right choice and it will not be taken away from her. The very first thing I want to call attention to in verse 39 is it says that Mary also sat at the feet of Jesus. So if Mary also sat at the feet of Jesus, that means that Martha sat at the feet of Jesus as well. Martha was not guilty of not having a relationship with Jesus. She was not guilty of not knowing him. She was guilty of the anxiety and the worry that had consumed her in her task. But Martha had relationship with Jesus. She had spent time with him. You see, when Jesus told Martha that Mary had made the right choice, he wasn't saying that Martha's heart to serve and be hospitable was wrong. Because God's not double-minded. He's not gonna call us to hospitality. He's not gonna command us to do it and then say, oh wait, nope, you did it the wrong way. You were wrong in your hospitality. He's not telling her hospitality is the wrong thing. He's saying when it's out of place or out of line, we need to readjust it. Verse 41, the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and upset about many things. 
And the word worried here in the Greek means to be anxious or troubled with cares. And the word upset is to disturb, trouble, properly to be troubled in mind or disquieted. And throughout scripture we see that anxiety is not his highest or his best. So what she was feeling was not something that God had given her. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Martha was upset, and these emotions and feelings weren't from God. And how often do we take on tasks and responsibilities that he hasn't asked us to, and then when we feel overwhelmed by our circumstances, we can start to play the martyr. You see, oftentimes when we feel like we have to have everything in order and a perfect home, we get really frustrated when people aren't acknowledging all of the work we're putting into something, or when people aren't stepping up to help, or why they don't get on our bandwagon. And Jesus is saying, I called you to hospitality. I didn't call you to your version of perfection. You see, oftentimes we just have this expectation of ourselves because we are way more worried about impressing someone than serving them. We're having people into our home only if we can make a good impression on them, not because we really want to build relationship with them. Or even if our heart was right in the beginning and it started out of building relationship with them, we become so focused on impressing them that we miss the initial call to just build the relationship. Who am I working for? Am I working for the recognition of someone else? Or am I working unto him? And when we're living for an audience of one, we don't make decisions based on what other people might think of us. That's really hard because oftentimes the only thing that we see in front of us or hear is the impression of someone else. And Jesus is saying, I'm the only one you're called to live for. If I'm asking this of you, what is my standard? What is my request? What have I placed on you? And when we sit back and ask him what he is asking of us, oftentimes burdens will fall away because we know that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And so if you're walking with burdens, that's not from him. That's not what he called you to. So what perspective needs to shift? When we're living for an audience of one, it is not a works-based salvation where we can earn God's love by serving more. Our serving isn't done to gain his approval. We serve because when we recognize how much he loves us, we want to show that love back to him. And it is an outpouring of what he has already done in us. I can understand why Martha might have felt a little anxious she had Jesus in her home. Just think about that. Hello. He had a reputation. He'd fed the five thousands with a few loaves and fish. He'd cast a demon out of a young boy. 
He'd healed a woman with the issue of blood. He'd brought a man's daughter back to life. I can understand why she might want to make a good impression. Jesus didn't correct Martha until she started complaining about Mary. Jesus wasn't correcting Martha for her heart to serve. He wasn't correcting Martha for her heart to pour out and bless him. He corrected Martha when her thought life got out of line and she started complaining that Mary wasn't jumping on her bandwagon and running around like she was. And if we are going to be original women, then we have to be at peace with what God is asking us to do. Not the sister on our right or the husband on our left. Right? Because oftentimes, that's what stirs up even the anxiety. We've placed an expectation on ourselves and therefore all of the people around us and when they don't jump on our bandwagon because the Holy Spirit hasn't spoken the same thing to them, we get irritated. What is God asking of you? In John 12, we see another meal where Martha is serving and Mary is sitting. And yet this time, Jesus says absolutely nothing to Martha about Mary doing the better thing. Let's look at John 12, two and three. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha was serving them and Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of fragrant oil, pure and expensive nard, anointed Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. So the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. Very similar scenario. Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha is up serving. And Jesus doesn't correct Martha for doing the wrong thing. And he doesn't tell her in, that, in this instance that Mary was doing the better thing. Could this be? Because he knew that Martha's heart at this point in time, was right. Her actions may have been right the first time, but her heart wasn't. And so, can I just free you tonight to say that being a doer isn't a bad thing. Many of us have believed that to be task-driven is bad or negative or wrong. No. It is not. It is only wrong when it doesn't come second to sitting at the feet of Jesus. You see, when we start to get a critical spirit and start to judge others and get frustrated when people don't get on our bandwagon, have we spent time in his presence? Do we have an accurate perspective of what he's asking us? And at the top of our to-do list, it should always be relationship. We're gonna to flip to another story about these sisters and we're gonna to go to John chapter 11. I'm gonna start at verse one. Now a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with perfume and wiped his feet with her hair. And it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the sister sent a message to him, Lord, the one you love is sick. So here we come across the story of Lazarus, who's the brother of Martha and Mary. And news was brought to Jesus that Lazarus was sick. 
In verse 11.3, scripture tells us that the sisters sent this message to him, letting him know. And this is because they recognized that Jesus was the God of miracles and they were confident that what he had done for others, he would surely do for them. Because they knew of the miracles he'd performed and then because they had had relationship with him, because they had invited him into their home, it says in these verses that Jesus loved them specifically. So they had an expectation when they sent word to Jesus that he would heal their brother. And then he didn't. He didn't heal Lazarus. In fact, he delayed. It says he stayed in the town two more days. And then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. He made sure Lazarus died. And he didn't make sure Lazarus just died. He, it took him then four days to get to where they were. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not sure how Martha and Mary might have felt in this moment, right? I mean, they knew of the miracles he had performed. In fact, they probably recognized that he wouldn't have even had to leave where he was. He could have just spoken the word and their brother would have been healed. And they had this intimate relationship with him. They had had him in their home. And yet he didn't do the miracle that they asked him to. And I think many of us have gone to God and asked him for a miracle. And he hasn't given us the miracle the way we wanted it. And then, many times, our response is frustration or doubt or despair. Has anybody ever felt this way? Have you asked God for a miracle and he didn't provide it the way you wanted him to? And what was your response to him? John eleven twenty. let's see what Martha did. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him. But Mary remained seated in the house. People are surrounding the body of Lazarus and they are mourning his loss. They are hurting and in pain. And Martha hears Jesus is coming and she runs to him. She meets him at the edge of town. She said, I'm going to meet Jesus because my pursuit of him is going to accomplish more than sitting around and crying over my circumstances. Now, I'm not minimizing the pain that Mary and Martha, I'm sure, were feeling in that moment. And in fact, Jesus didn't minimize it either. And in John 11:35, it says Jesus wept. Jesus didn't weep because Lazarus was dead. He knew the end of the story. He knew he was going to be raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus wept because he saw the pain that Martha and Mary were experiencing and he had compassion on them. Ladies, when we are walking through the trial, even though our God knows the end of the story, even though he knows he's working all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose, he is still a God who weeps with you. He is still a God who hurts with you, not because he doesn't know it will be good, but because he loves his daughters. That's the kind of God we serve. 
Martha didn't run to Jesus because she predicted the response would be to raise Lazarus from the dead. In fact, in that culture, they believed that a spirit left the body after it had been dead for three days. And imagine that after the body had sat there for four days in the heat, no embalming, that it had began to stink and decay. So in her mind, there would have been no hope for an actual resurrection. So she wasn't running to Jesus because she had a plan in mind and she knew exactly what Jesus was going to do. She just ran to him because she knew what his character was. Verse 21 says this, Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Yet even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Even now I know. God isn't afraid of our questions. He isn't afraid of our doubt. She was honest with him. If you'd been here, Lazarus would still be alive. Yet even now I know who you are. Yet even now I know what you can accomplish. God, my bank account is at zero, yet even now I know you are my provider. God, my marriage is falling apart, yet even now I know you are faithful in my circumstances and you will restore this marriage. God, the doctor's report, it doesn't look good. Yet even now I know you are my healer. What is our response to him when the miracle doesn't happen the way we wanted it to? God isn't saying we need to pretend to walk around as if we have all the answers like we are some spiritual giants. We can go to him because he can handle our questions when they are brought to him in a spirit of belief and faith. Martha believed Jesus. She sat under and listened to his teachings and she trusted him. And in verse 22, we see Martha acknowledge that whatever Jesus asked of God, God would give him. Yet at this point, Martha doesn't actually acknowledge Jesus as God himself. She recognized him as healer. She recognized him as a man who could do miracles, but it had not yet been revealed to her who he really was. In verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into this world. Jesus reveals to Martha that he not only has access to God, he is God, and Martha believes. Ladies, keep in mind, Martha didn't have a New Testament. She didn't have a Bible in her home that she was reading on a regular basis, and so she had faith because she had these stories in front of her. She had just been in relationship with him. And when he spoke, she listened to what he said to her, and she believed him. And because of this, one of the seven I am statements in the book of John was given directly to Martha. Because of her incredible faith, there was a blessing that came in this. 
If Jesus had healed Lazarus the way that she had hoped or expected, he would have remained only healer. There are miracles we are asking him for, and if he were to accomplish the miracles in the way that we want him to or expect him to, he's not gonna get the same glory as if he does it his way, because his ways are higher, his thoughts are higher, he knows more. And because Martha trusted him, then he could trust Martha. And he knew that even if she, he didn't answer her prayer the way she wanted him to, she would still believe. And Jesus moved in her world from healer to savior. He wasn't just another good man. He became her savior. And belief in who he is doesn't mean that we require him to answer all of our questions. Sometimes we want an explanation. Martha didn't go to Jesus when she met him at the edge of town and say, why did you choose to do it this way? Please explain to me why you intentionally delayed several days in getting here. Please explain to me why you didn't speak a word and heal my brother. When we go to God with an expectation that he has to explain himself, we make our God way too small. As if he was another human being that owed us something. He doesn't owe us anything because he's given us everything. Jesus' intentionality in delaying those extra days wasn't to just perform a miracle that had been done before, but to rather do something they believed was impossible. He's not just the God of miracles. He is the God of the impossible. He's the God of the impossible, ladies. I don't know about you, but after spending time studying Martha, I want to be a Martha. I want to be a woman who sits at the feet of Jesus and who uses my life to show hospitality to those around me. And I want to be a woman of incredible faith and belief. So regardless of the circumstances that come, I am not moved because I know who my Savior is. And because of Martha's belief, Jesus trusted her. And this miracle in the raising of Lazarus from the dead had far more reaching consequences because if we move on into John eleven forty five, it says many of the Jews who came and saw what he did believed in him. John 12, 9 through 11 says, then a large crowd of the Jews learned he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, the one he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests had decided to kill Lazarus also because he was the reason many of the Jews were deserting them and believing in Jesus. John 12, 17 and 18. Meanwhile, the crowd which had been with them when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify. Because of her faith and belief in who he was, he could trust her. And the impossible was accomplished, and many more came to belief in Jesus. Ladies, what circumstances are you in that God is asking you to have belief that he can do the impossible? 
What does he want to trust you with so that more people might know him? Choosing to believe that he is faithful even when what you see in the natural contradicts that. What Martha saw in front of her was her dead brother. What she believed in was the character of Jesus. And how does this belief affect the way we live and everything we do? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you for this incredible example in scripture. Lord, of a woman who walks with incredible faith and belief so that others may know about you, so that we may experience the God of the impossible. And I pray, Lord, for every woman in this room, Lord, that her level of faith and belief in you would be solidified. I pray that these roots would go down deep. I pray that we would not be shaken, but God, we would stand firm on your character and on who you are, because we know you are good, we know you are faithful, and we know you see far more reaching beyond what we can see in our finite minds. We thank you, Lord. Seal this in our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen.